Welcome to another episode on the Purpose Tune Podcast. The goal of my show is to create valuable content to broaden your knowledge, inspire you, and get you in the right mindset so that you can apply it in your own life to drive impact, generate meaning, and achieve your purpose. Now, today's episode guest is Terry Tucker. Terry has been an NCAA Division I college basketball player, a Citadel cadet, a marketing executive, a hospital administrator, an undercover neurotics investigator, a SWAT team hostage negotiator, a high school basketball coach, a business owner, and a motivational speaker. He's also an author, which I hope to dive into that a little bit here. Um, and Terry is the, of course, he's he's lead multiple lives, um, has an incredible wife um, that he lives with here in the United States and currently resides in Colorado um, and has a wind terrier named Maggie. And if you want to check out Terry, he will, um, of course, let you know where to find him. But uh, let's just check in. Terry, how are you doing? I'm great, Colin. Thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to talking with you. Thank you. Thank you. So, you know, I, I know we've had, uh, you know, uh, several conversations prior to the recording, and uh, you, you have such a magnificent story to share for folks. But uh, before we dive into that, um, let's check in. How, how are you doing today? I'm great. Uh, it's, it's a beautiful day here in Colorado. Uh, we, we were talking earlier about the different places that we've lived in our lives. And I think between the two of us, we've pretty much got every part of the United States covered, don't we? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> you know, I, um, I, I've done some recent traveling and, you know, uh, just to tap into the more adventurous um, side of myself. And it's done a lot of good in my life in terms of providing clarity. And um, I'd like to get your take on, um, on, on that. I know you've, you've done a lot with your, your, your career uh, based on these multiple um, uh, positions you've held. Um, but when it comes to clarity, how do you find that in your life? That's a great question. I, I, I've never been asked that before. I don't, I don't even know if I've even thought about that. Um, I, I think part of finding your clarity is, is finding your purpose. I think a lot of times people kind of live a casual life and because of this casual living, their goals, their dreams, their ambitions become almost a casualty of kind of that unplanned living. So I guess I would answer that with, I think finding your purpose in a lot of ways clears up or, or makes things more clear or, you know, that gives you that clarity that I think most people in life are looking for. Yeah, that's, that's beautiful. Um, you know, I, I, I think that since the pandemic, a lot of people have been soul searching. And um, of course, you've probably heard of the, the, the great resignation where people are quitting their jobs to focus on their passion. And um, I, I'd like to get your take on just what purpose means to you um, and how does it show up in your life? Yeah, I think that that's an excellent question. I mean, we're not all born with the same gifts and talents, but we're all born with the ability to become the best person that we're capable of becoming. And I really think it's important. And I always tell, especially young people, that if, if there's something in your heart, something in your soul 
that, that you want to do or that you believe you're supposed to do, but it scares you, go ahead and do it. Because at the end of your life, the things that you're going to regret are not going to be the things you did. They're going to be the things you didn't do. And by then it's going to be too late to go back and do them. So I always, you know, I don't know what people's purpose or passion or why or whatever you want to call it is, but I think it's important to search for that with an open heart. And, you know, a lot of times we talk about our purpose being our job. And I think it's important, and I, you hit on this a minute ago, your purpose doesn't have to be your job. You know, job could be something over here that you do to pay the bills, but your passion or your purpose is, you know, you, you want to write or, you know, you want to paint or you want to be an activist or whatever it is in your heart that you think you should do. You know, I think it's real important. Like I said, we're not all born with the same gifts and talents, but it's important for us to find the reason we were put on the face of this earth. And once we live, once we do that, we need to live that reason. And so many people, I think, check out before they ever get to the point in life where they find that purpose. You know, they just kind of give up. And I, I always tell the story about Colonel Sanders, who founded Kentucky Fried Chicken. He didn't find that, uh, he didn't fund or, or uh, develop that franchise until after he retired. He was well into his 60s. Now, imagine if he had, you know, in his 30s said, you know what, no, I'm good right where I am, not going to do anything, not going to keep moving forward, not going to try to find my purpose. Now, I don't know if Kentucky Fried Chicken founding was his purpose. I'm going to assume that it was. But can you imagine if he had, had stepped back and said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm good where I am in my 30s. I, I love his chicken. So, you know, we would have never had that delicious golden brown chicken that we all enjoy. So, I mean, don't think that, you know, if you're in your 30s or your 40s or your 50s and I haven't found my purpose, don't stop. Keep going. Keep looking. Eventually it'll find itself, you know, and, and you'll get out there and you'll be able to do what you you were born to do. Yeah, you, you make such a good point about Colonel Sanders' story and how he hadn't found his his, his his purpose or his story or his passion until he's well in the 60s. And that reminds me of this notion of people comparing themselves to others. And everybody's on their own journey and we don't know what other people are dealing with, the resources that they have. And we can't compare ourselves to, to, to other folks simply because we don't know exactly their personal story. And so... Um, they may have the right connections, you know, they may have, uh, you know, they, 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 they may have inherited some sort of, you know, uh, trust fund from, from, from somebody. And, and so it's important that we um, continue marching forward, but also at the same time, keeping true to who we are and that eventually, if we don't quit, we'll make it uh, somehow, some way. And, um, and it's going to require some patience. And so um, it looks like you had a thought there or a comment. Well, I was going to say, you know, I mean, you, you go back to the Ten Commandments, and I think the Ninth Commandment is, you know, don't covet your neighbor's goods. You know, don't, don't, you know, you can want something. There's nothing wrong with wanting things in life, but don't want it because somebody else has it. Or, you know, it's like, yeah, I'd, I'd like that car because he has it. There, there's a big difference between wanting a car because somebody has it and wanting a car because, hey, I like that car and it's something that I want. I mean, you're absolutely right. You know, at, at the end of our lives, 
we're not going to be judged by what other people said or what other people did. We're going to be judged by what we said and what we did. So, yeah, I mean, it really doesn't matter what other people do. You, you have your own path to tread. And if we start comparing ourselves to, you know, and I, I have a daughter and, and she was telling me about how she graduated from college in 2019. And she was like, you know, so-and-so who I graduated with has $10 million in real estate right now. I'm like, Okay, good for him. I mean, nice. That, that, that's that's outstanding. I, I mean, and, and, but there was almost a, you know, I want to be like him. It's like, do you want to be like him? Or do you want to be like, you know, do you want to have the money that he has? Is it, you know, what, what are you really looking at there? That's his journey. That may not be your journey. So So don't worry about it. Be thankful of where you are and be happy for what other people have. But don't compare yourself to other people. Right. And in the the point you made about being thankful, right? Like gratitude is such an important and powerful tool we have. It doesn't cost us anything to switch our mindset and say, today, I, I, you know, the moment you wake up out of bed in the morning and you, you're thankful for being alive another day, having to see the sun shine through your window and uh, being able to speak to your friends, your family, um, and get to see them. That's, those are important things that make up who we are in life and that we often take for granted. And so I think your notion about expressing gratitude is so important to uplifting our life so that we can uh, be in a happier state of mind rather than comparing ourselves to others, which can get us into a negative state of mind and doesn't get us, you know, it doesn't make us feel good. And so thanks for sharing that. Um, could you share with us about your story? Um, I know we kind of touched on, you know, your current state and um, for the listeners who don't know you, um, if you could share some of, of that, uh, we'd appreciate it. Sure. So I, I guess the, where I am right now, uh, I'll back up a little bit. This this all started for me, and, and it's kind of a cancer journey. Started for me in 2012. I was a girls' high school basketball coach in Texas, and I had a callus break open on the bottom of my foot, right below my third toe. And being a coach, you're on your feet a lot. So initially, I didn't think much of it. But when it didn't heal after a couple of weeks, I went to see a podiatrist, a foot doctor friend of mine, and he took an x-ray and he said, Terry, I think you have a little cyst in there and I can cut it out. And he did. And he showed it to me. It was just a little gelatin sack with some white fat in it. No dark spots, no blood, nothing that gave either one of us concern, but he sent it off to pathology anyway. And then two weeks later, I get a call from him. And as I said, he was a friend of mine. And the more difficulty he was having describing what was going on, obviously, the more frightened I was becoming until he finally just laid it out for me. He said, Tara, I've been a doctor for 25 years. I have never seen this form of cancer. You have a rare form of melanoma that appears on the bottom of the feet or the palms of the hands. And I recommend you, you go to Houston and you be treated at MD Anderson Cancer Center down there. And so I did. And I, I had the bottom of my foot excised and I had all the lymph nodes in my groin removed. And then when I healed, my oncologist put me on a drug called interferon to help keep the disease from coming back. The side effects for interferon for me were I had severe flu-like symptoms for two to three days every week after each injection. 
And I took those weekly injections for almost five years. So imagine having the flu for two to three days every week for five years. And as I said, that wasn't a cure. That was just to try to keep the disease from coming back. And my oncologist used to say, you know, we're trying to kick the can down the road. We're trying to have more therapies available for you. So I was on that drug for five years. Eventually, the toxicity of it landed me in the intensive care unit with a fever of 108 degrees, which usually isn't compatible with being alive. But fortunately, I was able to be saved. And after that, I was not able to take the drug anymore. That was 2000. And 17, uh, the disease immediately came back and it came back in the exact same place on my foot. And in 2018, I had my left foot amputated because of the cancer. 2019, the disease moved up my leg into my shin. I had two more surgeries then. And then last year, an undiagnosed tumor kind of in my ankle area on, on what was left of my leg. Um, grew large enough that it fractured my tibia, my shin bone. And my only recourse right in the middle of the pandemic was to have my left leg amputated above the knee. And I also found out I had tumors in my lungs and I'm being treated for those right now. So that's kind of my, you know, almost nine years, almost 10 year journey through cancer. And I I know it doesn't sound very uplifting and it sounds kind of dark, but in all honesty, I, I think cancer in totality, has just made me a better individual. And I could sense that coming through my screen. I mean, you are such a strong person. Um, I don't know if if I were to go through those situations, if I could ever be in your position, I think I would just crumble and just like be, you know, a little kid. It's just, that says a lot to to deal with. how how did you manage through all of that? Like what 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 was your what was your mindset like? What was your um yeah, I mean, what was your mindset like during those? Yeah, I, I mean you're you're looking at me right now. I mean, there, there's no S on my chest. I'm not wearing a cape. You know, I, I I'm a human being. I, I have bad days, I cry, I get down, I feel sorry for myself. We're all going to, you know, have pain in our life. And it doesn't have to be cancer pain or, or even an illness. I mean, it could be as simple as you flunk a test at school or you break up with your boyfriend or your girlfriend or you don't get the promotion at work that you think you deserve. Yeah. Pain is inevitable. Yeah. Suffering, on the other hand, suffering is optional. Suffering is what you do with that pain. Do you use that pain to make you a stronger and more determined individual? Or do you want to wallow in it and make people feel sorry for you and feel sorry for yourself? It's a choice that you have to make because the world isn't going to give you anything. The world owes you absolutely nothing. So you've got to decide how you want to deal with this pain. And, and whenever I get into these dark places, and, and like I said, I do, I think of two stories. One um, was involving a professor at Johns Hopkins University back in the 1950s who did an experiment with rats it was a pretty simple experiment. He put rats in a tank of water that was over their head, and he wanted to see how long the rats could tread water. And the average rat tread water for about 15 minutes before it started to sink and drown. And just as it was about to drown, he reached in and grabbed it, pulled it out, dried it off, let it rest for a while, and then put that rat back in the exact same tank of water. And the second time around, those rats treaded water for 60 hours. 
Think about that. The first time, all I could do was 15 minutes. I'm at the end of my rope. I'm going to die. And boom, you go under. No, wait a minute. Somebody rescues you. And, and that 60 hours says to me two things. One, the importance of hope in our lives. We have to have something that we're striving for or the, the belief that life is going to get better for us at some point in time. May not be right now, but sometime out there in the future, life is going to have to get better. So the importance of hope was the first thing. And the second thing was just how much more our physical bodies can handle than we ever thought that they could do. And I'm reminded, I have a, a friend who's a former Navy SEAL, and, and the SEALs talk about their 40% rule, which basically says that if, if you're at the end of your rope, you can't go on, you're only at 40% of, of your maximum, and you still have 60% left to give to yourself. So whenever I get in those dark places, I always remember those two stories, and they always kind of give me enough energy to get up and to continue to move forward. That is so, so incredible. And thank you for sharing the, the study. Who was it done? Do you know the professor? Um, I, I think the professor's name was Richter. Okay. Uh, it was done back in the 1950s at Johns Hopkins. And when I first heard about it, I thought, no, nah, there's no way. Right. So, you know, I'm like, before I go talking about it, I, I want to make sure that this isn't just something that's out there on the internet. And right. I did a little research. And from what I've been able to find, this actually happened. He did this study. And, you know, those rats, the second time, 60 hours seems to be the mark. Well, it's very similar to that example of the, the five-minute uh, mile. Was it the five-minute? Uh, the four-minute mile, yeah. The four-minute mile. And uh, that's, uh, you know, for the longest time, people had thought that that was something, a record that could never, you know, be beaten, that people would actually, and people would die doing it. But, you know, when one person was able to do it, more and more people were able to be inspired and do it as well. And so I think it really ties back to um, how we see things in life. And, and also hope is also, faith is also important. Hope is also very important. Um, how has that played into your, into your life? I, I always talk about, um, you know, I, I, I talk about my four truths, but the other thing that's really kind of gotten me through this is what I call my three F's, which are faith, family, and friends. I, I have a very strong, very deep faith in God. Um, when I found out I had was going to lose my leg and I had these tumors, before I had surgery, I went to the mortuary and, and to the cemetery uh, and, and to the church and planned my funeral. And I, I got a lot of brush, not a lot, but I, I got some brush back from that. People were like, you know, you know, you talk about motivation all the time. Don't you think that's kind of defeatist? And I kind of looked at them like, well, Last time I checked, everybody's going to die. I don't think anybody's working on a cure for life right now. So, you know, it, it was like, you, you know, we're all going to die, but we're not all going to, we're not all going to really live. And I, I recall a Native American Blackfoot proverb that I heard years ago that I just loved. And, and it went like this. It's like, when you were born, you cried and the world rejoiced. Live your life in such a way so that when you die, the world cries and you rejoice. That's what I want. And I think the important words in that, in that saying are live your life. You have to get out there and live the life that, you know, live the purpose, live the why that you were put on this earth to do. And if you do that, death is not nearly as scary. And, and I don't understand why everybody, and I, don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm not looking to die. I'm not, not I don't want to hasten it by any means. But when it comes 
I'm hoping that I'll be in the rejoicing side of it because I do have a very strong faith in God. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, is my family. And, you know, it's just my daughter and my wife and I, and I recall after I had the, the surgery for my leg, my oncologist wanted to put me in chemotherapy. And I kind of looked at him like, you know, is it going to save my life? And he was like, mm, probably not. I said, well, you know, I have an eight year run run of fighting this cancer. I'm not sure I want to do that, but I'll go home and I'll talk to my family. And so I, I, I get home and, and I'm telling my wife and daughter, and my daughter's immediately, like, oh, wait a minute, we got to have a family meeting. I'm like family meeting, there's three of us. You know, I mean, it's not like we got a board here or anything like that. So we, we sit around the kitchen table and we talk about how we feel about it. And then my daughter's like, all right, let's take a vote. How many people want dad to have chemotherapy? You know, and my wife and daughter raised their hand. And I'm like, wait a minute, am I getting outvoted here? You know, and, and I remembered back when I was in the police academy, the instructor, our defensive tactics instructor used to have us bring a photograph of the people that we love the most to class. And as we were learning different techniques to defend ourselves, he wanted us to look at that photograph because he reasoned you'll fight harder for the people you love then you will fight for yourself. And I think that, you know, little round table around the kitchen table and being outvoted is a perfect example of that. You know, I was willing to do, and I did do chemotherapy as a result of what my family wanted because I love them more than I actually love myself. And then the final thing is, is friends. And I think when you have a chronic illness or, or, or you get a, a terminal illness like cancer, you're going to find out who your friends are real quick. I mean, there are a lot of people that I thought were my friends that kind of exited stage left. There are still a few people, that, a couple of my neighbors that whenever we talk about cancer or dying, they're like, nope, nope, don't want to talk about that. Either change the subject and want to get away. And I guess I'll leave you with this. You know, we've all done this where somebody's, you know, going in the hospital for surgery or even something joyful, like they're having a baby. And what do we always say? Hey, if you need anything, let me know. Well, that's kind of like sitting on the sidelines and pretending you're playing in the game. You know, if you want to really help somebody, the same things that you have to do at your house, the grocery shopping, the garbage has got to go out, you know, the dog's got to go for a walk, the kid's got to get to school. Those are the same things that I have to do at my house, but I don't have time to figure all that out with you. So if you want to get involved, just do something. Go, go to the grocery store and say, hey, I got you, you know, eggs, milk, and bread. Here they are. And, and, and get involved in people's lives. Don't sit on the sidelines and try to pretend that you're playing in the game with this. Hey, if you need anything, let me know. I don't have time to let you know. Right. That's, wow. Um, very powerful stuff. Um, I think you've certainly tapped into what the meaning of life really is, right? Like you don't have time to deal with all the the nonsense because you're too busy living your your purposeful life you're too busy um doing the things that actually matter to you in your life you have a bigger goal than than you know these these shallow things that people are, are dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis and um you know to your point about you know when you go through something that's difficult to your situation you, you'll get to know who your true friends are and recently I've been just thinking about the meaning of friendship and what that means to me and, and, and how all of them, you know, show up in my life. And, and I think because I'm someone that 
well, I consider myself as someone who has an old soul. And so I, I, I'm, you know, I tend to ask the, the more deeper and meaningful conversations when we're hanging out. Um, some people just aren't ready for that. They're, they're, they're at a different stage in their life where they're still, you know, for whatever reason, going through, you know, life's challenges and um, they're, they, they just, we're just at a different vibration, different level in our, in our life, which is okay. Um, I don't mind. Uh, because I know that the right people who are meant to be uh, in my life will show up um, and we will, you know, get along like natural, uh, you know, we'll have a natural connection and in, in, in authentic connection. And so um, you also mentioned earlier that you're, you're, you're grateful for, I don't know if you say you were grateful for this, for, for, for being in a situation that you're in because it showed you a lot of um, things in your life that made you stronger and more resilient. Is that, um, is that true? Yeah, I, I think that cancer has made me a better individual. Um, I, I, I guess I want, I, I'd like to go back and just kind of sort of pick up on what you were saying earlier. I, I had a nurse recently who told me this story and uh, when I first met her, she was she was a nurse, but she was in the unit where I get my my therapy every third week uh, in training. And so she was with another nurse. And a couple months ago, she was taking care of me by herself. And she said, you know, I've got this story to tell you, but I'm a little uncomfortable. And it's like, just just tell me, you know, and, and she's young. She's about 25 years old. And she said, you know, when I first met you, I was going to get out of nursing. I, I had had a friend die. I was in a really dark place. And I talked to my mom and dad and I was going to quit nursing and I was going to go to work for Amazon. And then I met you and I see what you go through. And I heard your story and everything that you've been through over these last nine, 10 years. And I knew I was where I was supposed to be. Now, if she would have never told me that story, I would have had no idea that my life had had an impact on her. And I think that's important. There, there was a, a basketball coach. I know you're in California out at UCLA. Uh, when I was growing up back in the 1970s, uh, by the name of John Wooden, and he, and he had this quote, he said, a careful person I want to be, a little person follows me, I dare not go astray for fear they may go the same way. I mean, Kong, there's people out there that want to be like you, that you have no idea who those people are, but they're kind of looking at you and watching you from afar. And, and the same for me and the same for all of us. You know, we have no idea who our lives touch, you know, just by living them. You know, we don't have to do anything special, but people are watching us and they're like, you know, I want to be like him. I mean, it sort of goes back a little bit to what we were saying at the beginning of the show about, you know, not living your life, not trying to live somebody else's life or be like somebody else. But there are still, I mean, there's always role models and, and people that we want to emulate and that's okay. But I think it's important for us to realize that there are people out there that kind of want to be like us. And I'm not telling you you've got to live somebody else's life. You have to live a life, as you said, that's true to yourself. But at the same time, I think it's important for us to remember that there are people out there that we have no idea who they are, that our lives are touching them in some way. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. And going back to, in addition to what you're saying to Sometimes when we doubt ourselves, we don't, we have no idea that people actually see us as inspiration. And when we're so busy doubting ourselves about, 
you know, our confidence, our power, inspiration that we create um, and moves people, there, there are folks that are sitting on the sideline wishing and hoping that they can be like us. <laughs> and, and that's why I wanted to invite you to the show is because it's because you serve as such an inspiration to the show. I know you do because of the, the struggles and challenges that you've been through in your life, uh, being in your current state. And um, and yes, it's hard. And yes, it's it's uh, uh, it's sometimes I guess it could be unbearable. But at the same time, look at the other side. It's such a beautiful thing because you're inspiring people like me and like my listeners. I know who, who they're like, well, heck, I mean, this, this guy is going through so much and there's me worried about like, um, you know, how I'm going to get my rent paid or, you know, not getting promoted. Like that's such a small matter compared to what other people have to deal with. And again, going back to that notion we were talking about earlier is gratitude. We have to be grateful for everything we have in our lives just because, um, People wish they were in our shoe. People wish they had that. And so um, it's important to be, um, to look for, for role models and people who can inspire us to live out our truest calling so that we can continue to um, be in this a positive state of mind. Um, yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you. And I guess I would add one thing to that. It's that I always recommend this to people and I try to do it every single day of my life is to do one thing that you find hard or difficult or scary or potentially embarrassing. If you do that every day, and it doesn't have to be something big, you know, I, I mean, it was like, you know, I'm, I'm nervous about calling this person, pick up the phone and call, them. you know, because if you do those small things over every day, over time, when the big things hit, and the big things hit all of us, you know, you, you have somebody close to you die, or, you know, you lose your job, and you had no idea that was coming, or, or whatever it is, when these big things hit, if you make yourself uncomfortable every day with little things, when you get uncomfortable with the big things, you'll be so much more prepared to be able to handle that stuff when it comes down the pike. And like I said, it comes down the pike for all of us. None of us are immune to, you know, nobody was born with a silver spoon in their mouth. I mean, some people may have more money or, or, or you know, have better families or whatever you want to say, but they're still going to have tragedy and, and, and difficult things in their life, regardless of their status in life. So I think it's important for us to do those little uncomfortable things every day so that when the big things hit, we're prepared for them. Right, because that's what makes us stronger is that resilience. And that's, that's a huge component of being human, yeah. right? Is um, having the, the courage to step into the unknown and face fear uh, head on um, and say, look, I, I've been through this before and this is not the enemy. And I'm ready to take on the next challenge. And that's what's, that's, that is what's going to make us stronger. Um, and people look, look up to those folks that um, have high emotional resilience and courage, um, especially in the face of um, uncertainty and, and fear and, and, um, and things like that. Um, so we kind of touched a little bit on about inspiration. Um, who or what inspires you? And why? I, I think certainly my family does. I, I understand when I'm 
putting them through, you know, it, it's, it's, it's easier for me, I think, to go through physical pain than it is for me to watch them deal with the emotional, you know, part of living with someone who has cancer. I, I, I mean, I, I'm in a wheelchair now because of losing my leg. I, I am learning to walk again, but that is a, it's a huge undertaking for somebody. You, you can't tell this from looking at me, but I'm, I'm six foot eight inches tall. So, I, I mean, in a lot of ways, my prosthetic is taller than my wife, in, 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 <laughs> you know, in some cases. But, you know, watching people have to help you when you're the person who spent your whole life, you know, helping others is is difficult or has been difficult for me. And, you know, I realize there are just certain things that I, I can't do anymore. And I'm going to have to rely on other people to, to help me in that regard. And, and that's fine. But, you know, my family is, I, I know without them, I would have died a long time ago. Um, I, you know, again, going back to my faith, I, I, I believe in God. You know, people have asked me, you know, do you blame God because you got cancer? Like, no, I don't think God got up on a Tuesday morning, checked his to-do list and said, you know, Terry Tucker, cancer today. I, I don't believe that at all. Mm -hmm. But I do think that my faith has gotten me through some very tough, very difficult, very dark times. And, and I rely on that. And, and it works for me. I realize for a lot of other people, it doesn't. And, and that's fine. You've got to figure out in your own life, you know, how, how you get through this. And, and the other thing is, is what I call or what I like to call my four truths, and, and, and I'll give them to you. I, I have them on a post-it note right sure, here in my right office. Right. Yeah, they're, they're just one sentence each. And I, I kind of describe them like they're, they're, the, they're sort of the bedrock of my soul. They're, they're, they're things that, are, that I can use to build a life on. And if they resonate with, with you or your audience, feel free to use them. If one or two do, you know, get some more for yourself, whatever they are. So here's the first one. You need to control your mind or your mind is going to control you. The second one is we need to embrace the pain and the difficulty that we're all going to experience in life and use that pain and difficulty to make us stronger and more determined individuals. The third one is more of a, I guess for lack of a better word, a legacy truth. I think it's important, regardless of our stage in life, to think about the end game. You know, What are people gonna say about you at your funeral? And the third one is this, what you leave behind is what you weave in the hearts of other people. And then the fourth one is pretty self-explanatory. As long as you don't quit, you can never be defeated. And so I, I use those things, like I say, to make decisions. You know, I, I was thinking about those when I was like, you know, I don't, I don't really think I want to do chemotherapy. But then, you know, something switched and, you know, I love my family more than I love myself. So I will do chemotherapy. So I, I'm not going to tell you that, you know, you're not going to change your mind based on these, but I think they're a good place to start to build your life. That's, uh, that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing those, those four truths um, and how it has helped guide you. My, my, so I want to, I want to push back a little bit. Okay. On your, uh, and I like that because, you know, it gets us into this engaging conversation, right? Just to challenge yourself. So when you're, when, when you say, I love my family more than I love myself, what does that mean? Because um, to me, what I'm hearing is, um, I don't love myself. Or maybe you do love yourself, but you, but you love your family more than you love yourself. I, I think the latter. Yes. I, okay. I, I mean, don't, don't, I do love myself. I, I, I mean, I am, 
you know, you're looking at me now and, you know, you, you made the comment when we first connected on Zoom that, you know, you look good. And, and, and I do. I look good in clothes. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it's the underside. It's, it's, it's all the scars. It's, you know, I have scars all over my body. I, you know, I, five years of, of interferon injections around my midsection and my kind of love handles is it, all scar tissue now and things like that. You, I, I love those because I've earned them. I've earned every one of those scars. We, we all earn our scars, whether we like them or not. So yes, I love myself, but there are things that if it were just me, like I said, probably wouldn't have done chemotherapy. But when you put, put other people that you love into that, that equation, you right. quickly realize that, you know what, it's not about you. It's, right. it's about the people you love right. and you're willing to do things that you probably wouldn't do if it was just you because those people want you to do it. So I, I didn't mean to imply that I don't love myself. I certainly do. Yeah. But like I said, I, I've earned all these scars that you can't see. And trust me, you're, you're lucky you can't see. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the clarification. And, and I knew that that's what you were trying to get at, but I just wanted to clarify that for some of my listeners. Um, but you're right. I mean, being a person of faith, um, you know, being a person of faith, uh, it's, it's important to, to also think about other people too. Right. And cause that's, cause that's what God thought about us. I mean, I don't want to like get people to like convert to Christianity or anything, anything like that. It's just, I worry on, on this topic and, so as I was saying, was that we we oftentimes think of um, you know our situations as um, as things that we you know that that we find it to be too much of a challenge, um, and we don't know how we're going to deal with it. But when we look at other people and they have bigger challenges than we do, it really does inspire us to to keep on going. And so I think in all the, the message I was trying to get at was, was that you're that message to me and you're that message to a lot of people. Um, did I, um, does that make sense? Yeah, it, it, it totally makes sense. And I, I think it, it kind of goes back to that second truth. You know, our brains are hardwired to avoid pain and discomfort and to seek pleasure. So you know, to the brain, the status quo is good. You know, it's like, hey, don't mess with things, leave things the way they are. But the only way we're going to grow, the only way we're going to improve ourselves is if we step outside those comfort zones. And so when I talk about pain, you know, people want to run from it. And people do. They run to alcohol, they run to drugs, they run to, you know, bad decisions, bad behavior. But what I'm suggesting with that is just the opposite. Instead of running from pain, what if you took that and flipped it and flipped it inside and used it as, as energy or burned it as fuel to make you a stronger individual? And, and I'm here to, you know, I, I told you before, I, I, there's no S on my chest. I don't have a cape. You know, I, I have bad days. I get down. But instead of running from pain, I just now use it. And when I, I am on a clinical trial drug now for the tumors in my lungs, that probably isn't going to save my life, but may save somebody's life down the road. And part of that trial is to have constant blood draws. And so there were days, you know, and I know it doesn't sound like much, 
but I don't enjoy getting stuck by a needle. There were days I would get stuck by a needle, you know, 12, 14, 18 times, 18 different times. And, and, you know, I love nurses. I've got the greatest set of nurses, but they're always sticking a needle. Am I hurting you? Well, you know, you're sticking a needle in me. Yeah, a little bit. You know, it's like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I don't like this, but it's for something that's bigger than yourself. And I think that's one thing that I learned is part of, you know, I played college basketball. I started playing basketball when I was nine, played all the way up through college. And I think that's one thing team sports taught me was the importance of, of being part of something that's bigger than yourself. And if you think about it, the biggest team game that we all play is this game of life. Mm-hmm. You're right. You're completely right. All the re- the game of life. Life is going to throw challenges at us. It's And we can't avoid that. It's how we deal with it that makes us, um, you know, stronger. And I think that's... Uh, you've certainly shared a lot of perspective that I, I really hope my listeners will take away is that, um, you know, it's again, go, it goes back to the mindset, like how, how you see yourself and how you see the situations you're in. And we have the choice to either take the personal responsibility and act on it or do nothing and, and let life run us over. And so you're, you serve as a true inspiration for many of us who could, um, you know, use you as an example uh, or see you as an example um, of um, someone who has uh, the resilience and the courage uh, to step into the the unknown, the fear, the uncertainty, and still continue to live uh, the great life that you're meant to live because um, God has a bigger purpose for you. And um, and that is, I think, is at least how I'm, I'm looking at this is it's a chance to inspire people to live out their truth calling. And you're the example of that. Um, and so I'm, I'm very appreciative that um, you've taken the time to uh, hop on this, uh, this journey with me, this podcasting journey with me to talk about and contribute to this concept of purpose and meaning. Um, I know more about that time. Um, do you have any last words that you'd like to share with my listeners before we closed, Terry? Yeah, I'll, I'll leave you with this story. I, I've always been a big fan of Westerns growing up. My mom and dad used to let me stay up and watch, you know, Wild Wild West and Gunsmoke and Bonanza and things like that. 1993, the movie Tombstone came out. You may have seen it. It, it starred uh, Val Kilmer as a man by the name of John Doc Holliday and Kurt Russell as a man by the name of Wyatt Earp. Now, Doc Holliday and Wyatt Earp were two living, breathing human beings who walked on the face of the earth. They're not made up characters for the movie. And Doc was called Doc because he was a dentist by trade, but pretty much he was a gunslinger and a card shark. And Wyatt had been a lawman his entire life. And these two men from entirely opposite backgrounds form this very close friendship. And at the end of the movie, Doc is dying at a sanitarium in Glenwood Springs, Colorado. And the real Doc Holliday died at that sanitarium and he's buried in the Glenwood Springs Cemetery. And Wyatt at this point in his life is destitute. He has no money, he has no job, he has no prospects for a job. So every day he comes to play cards with Doc and the two men pass the time that way. And in this scene at the very end of the movie, they're talking about what they want out of life. And Doc says, you know, I was in love with my cousin when I was young, but she joined a convent over the affair, but she's all that I ever wanted. 
And he looks at Wyatt and he says, what about you, Wyatt? What do you want? And Wyatt kind of nonchalantly says, I just want to lead a normal life. And Doc looks at him and says, there's no normal, there's just life and get on with living yours. Con, you know, you and I probably know people out there that are sort of sitting back and say, you know, when this happens, I'll have a normal life. When that happens, I'll have a successful life. When this happens, I'll have a significant life. What I'm saying is don't wait. Don't wait for life to come to you. Get out there, find the reason you were put on the face of this earth and live that reason. Because if you do, I'm going to promise you two things at the end of your life. One, you're going to be a whole lot happier. And two, you're going to have a whole lot more peace in your heart. <laughs> I, I love that, Terry. Um, you could not have said any better. And I appreciate um, those, those, uh, those words. Um, where can people find you? Should they choose to connect with you um, after being you know, inspired by, by our talk? Sure. So I, I have a, a, a blog called Motivational Check. I put up a, a daily thought for the day. It usually comes with a question to get you to think about how maybe that, that thought could be applied to your life. On Mondays, I put up the Monday morning motivational message, which is usually a video or a story that's a little bit longer. So if you need a quick hit of inspiration or motivation, go to motivationalcheck.com. You can leave me a message there. You can purchase my book. You can get access to my social media sites. Pretty much motivationalcheck.com will get you to me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Folks, if you enjoyed this talk and would like to connect with Terry, you know where to find him. And um, again, reference where you found him, which is through the Purpose Tune podcast. Um, otherwise, I hope you all are having a lovely day. And Terry, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your time as well.